You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. episode we'll be talking about the velvet underground self-titled album in the room i have rob hello john and hi and ben hi the velvet underground is a self-titled third studio album by the american rock band the velvet underground released march 1969 on mgm records and the producer was the velvet underground and from all music review mark deming Upon first release, the Velvet Underground self-titled third album must have surprised their fans nearly as much as the first two albums shock a few mainstream music fans who heard them. After testing the limits of how musically and thematically challenging rock could be on the Velvet Underground and Nico in White Light, White Heat, this 1969 release sounded sparse, quiet, and contemplative, as if the previous albums documented some manic, speed-fueled party, and this was the subtle morning after. The album's relatively calm has often been attributed to, to the departure of the band's most committed avant-gardist, John Cale, in the fall of 1968, and the arrival of new bassist, Doug Yule, and the theft of the band's amplifiers shortly before they began recording. But Lou Reed... <laughs> that, that too. <laughs> but Lou Reed's lyrical exploration is as keen here as on any album he ever made. While displaying a warmth and compassion, he sometimes denied his characters candy says pale blue eyes and i'm set free may be muted in approach than what the band has done in the past but what goes on and beginning to see the light made it clear that velvet underground still loved rock and roll and the murder mystery which mixes and matches four separate poetic narratives is a brave and uncompromising as anything on white light white heat this album sounds less like the velvet underground than any of their studio albums but it's as personal, honest, and moving as anything Lou Reed ever committed to take. All right, what do we think of the third self-titled album? I felt like it just sounded like a really good Lou Reed record, <laughs> honestly. Like, yeah. and, and it, it, it was the first one where I was like, oh, oh yeah, that, that, that's a Lou Reed I know. Like, that's, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, really good, though. Like, really, really good. I, I don't have anything else to say what if i told you this is i think my favorite velvet underground record i could see that i also for a very long time had the misconception that it was their debut since it was self-titled so i I thought that too yeah yeah and so like i i it makes way more sense i listened to both like i was introduced to both like velvet underground and nico and this one like my first year of college and I had just assumed that they started out as like this kind of like laid back, folky, grooving band, and then they got experimental. I didn't realize it was kind of the 
the reverse of that. Yeah, that's the trick with self-titled albums. If yeah. you do one, then it it kind of confuses people, I think. Yeah. Is that something, like, is that a rule? Because that's what I thought, too. And there, then now, like, now knowing that it isn't, it makes sense because it is so much, like, just yeah. a Lou Reed record. Uh, so, like, Fleetwood Mac by Fleetwood Mac is their 12th album. Yeah, it's an unwritten rule. I think it's also... Huh that it's it's just your first album because then that is usually a collection of, you know, songs that you've just been performing live or uh, playing around with. And then I think a lot of people personify doing a self-titled in, later in their career as a, what we would commonly refer to as a reboot. Yeah. Or a re-envisioning. A real Beatles move. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> or a real... Metallica move. Oh, absolutely. They reinvented themselves on that Black album. Yeah. Are all five of those self-titled Weezer albums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Zing. Uh, I really, I, I like this record a lot. Uh, the, the, the songs that are like least what you think of when you think of the Velvet Underground are really the ones that ring with me most. Like, uh, Pale Blue Eyes, Candy Says. And Rob, you hit the nail on the head. It, it, it's, it sounds like what Lou Reed would later be doing. That might be why I like it so much. I, I, I'm a fan of Lou Reed's solo stuff. I agree. Yeah. I liked it in its sparseness and how it felt a little more like a folk. It, the reason I wanted to read this review is it does feel like that come down of after a, like a rock party or something. Now it's... It, 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 it's more subtle it's more introspective with lyrics um and it feels feels right however i think i still prefer the sort of all tomorrow's parties where it's like this heavy echoey reverberation like i still prefer that velvet underground but this is a really nice uh, companion piece along with that and you're right i listen to candy says like 50 times at least. I never knew that that, that wasn't D Lou David? Reed singing. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's Doug Yule yeah. singing Doug that Doug Yule, that's what yeah. I mean. Yeah. I always just assumed it was Lou Reed. No. I mean, the, the last song and the and, uh, that first song. Oh, yeah, song. the bookends. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bookends without Lou Reed singing. I love that they, it continues, too, with, they go into these sort of, uh, I don't I guess I'd say like riffs or grooves that continue. And I can imagine these songs being performed live and what that would have sounded like being extended. Oh yeah. seems like they, each of these has a, a middle part where you can see them extending uh, beyond what, what the, what's laid here. I listen to a lot of these albums while hanging out with my dogs. And so they give me a. Did your dogs like it? They loved it. It was okay. an additional <laughs> layer of, uh, of artistic appreciation uh, because it's not what I expected from the Velvet Underground from having heard their prior albums. You know, I thought it was going to be, you know, more harder rock. And it's, that was like what Vox? Were they backed by Vox and had a bunch of Vox amps? Yes. Yeah. yeah and so and so then those got I guess stolen, and they decided to re up and buy. 12 string guitars and, and go for a softer sound. Fox should have given them more amps. They right. can afford it. it they, they would have. I think that's been a kind of a. That's, it might be a pop. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think that's entirely the thing. The not 100%. Not 100%. Right. Here's but, the thing these yeah, instruments are still amplified. Yeah. yeah. And they still have some. some, some, Whoa. some, some, <laughs> some they have a couple, you know, rocking songs, but they're not like as fuzzed out. 
But uh, the dogs, which usually don't like each other, while listening to this album, both lay behind me on the couch touching. Ooh. So they were big in this album. It's very nice, <laughs> soothing, introspective. Really, really, you know, if you're a two-year-old dog uh, <laughs> that might not be getting along with the other dog in your house, put this album on and uh, it'll, it'll work things out. <laughs> Lou Reed knows how to calm dogs. Yeah. He's got that, he's got that tone. Even Doug Yule. <laughs> Speaking of calming, how precious is Mo Tucker singing uh, After Hours? So precious. <laughs> Pretty great. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty. Uh, I wrote, McCartney would be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, it's very, very cute. And it, it's like that one song, the vaudeville song, or, you know, it's like a throwback song. Yeah, on a lot like, of those. What were you saying earlier, John? Tim, like Tim, Tim Pan, Pan Alley? Alley. Yeah. yeah. Is, is whatever they call that style, apparently, like the... I don't know what else you'd call like the I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Vaudeville. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. See, but normally I'm annoyed by that, but I think it's perfect. If you here. if you bring it's it the perfect right way to end it. Yeah, like. she's so sweet and so innocent in her delivery. Yeah. The, store, the night could last forever. Leave the sun shine out and say hello to never. All the people are dancing and they're having such fun. I wish it could happen to me. But if you close the door, I'd never have to see the day again. If you close the door, the night. Uh, I did write too that a, a lot of this stuff, the sort of amplified. Um, Acoustic kind of remind me of Street Fighting Man or mm -hmm. what the Stones were currently doing, and I feel like the Velvet Underground and the Stones were having a bit of a, a symmetry within this album and what they had been doing. I could see that, yeah, because it, it's it's like very rocking, but at the same time, it doesn't have an overdriven guitar sound. It's yeah. not loud. It just it feels rocking, driving, yeah, in a, in a certain way. So, what'd your dogs think of uh, Murder Mystery? They hated it. <laughs> uh, as did I. Bunch of uh, you know, I appreciate experimentation, you know, and I appreciate them trying to, you know, do different channel work, you know, left and right, different spoken words, different instrumentation, but it's... I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of people using cacophony as a way to be like, oh, we're edgy. It sounds like shit. It's amazing. And sometimes it just doesn't really sound very good. Or or, or, or sometimes you can use it and it doesn't achieve the effect I think you're going for. Um, you know, you're just kind of using it because it's like, oh, well, if, if we've gone this way for the whole song, well, we have to end with just banging piano because we've got nowhere else to go with it. Hmm. I, don't, I don't think it was intentionally cacophonous, though. I think that especially in the context of how, like, sort of gentle everything is, like, it's not as gentle as those things, but, like, compared to well, there's parts general where... Velvet Underground stuff, it's, like, it's like a pretty, I don't know. It feels right I for them. I, like, I, I really like that song. I don't like, mind the song either. But you, it's, you think... it's listenable. You can't hear what the words are, but I think that that, like, is part of the point. Well, it seems like there's, in both, like, the, in, like, in part A and part B of the song, there's, like, 
two vocalists singing different vocal parts simultaneously, and they're unrelated. You know, it's just like, like stepping over each other. It seems like that might be some like intended cacophony. I think that the point is how the words sound, not what the words are, and that it's interesting to like listen to lyrics as like a like a purely like just what just purely syllabic percussive like what they're doing as sound instead of as like meaning like it's it's like separating the signifiers i could i could listen to that again i mean and then try and find more of that in it It i'm just okay to not like it too it does it does feel very off on this album like the rest of the album has such a sure mm -hmm. Soft gentleness, and that does seem. I mean, and it's a very long song. It's yeah. it's like a ten minute song, I think. Maybe and there's some 13. parts of it. Yeah, there were some parts of it that have melodic or, or harmonic parts, and the ear seeks those after having all that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, not discord, I guess, but just you well, know, it's, dis- it's like distorted. Yeah, yeah, and so it starts off with a really nice riff, mm-hmm. and then it takes you six minutes and forty five seconds to get to something that's like kind of, you know, interesting and rhythmic, like, on a traditional level, and then it descends into banging pianos. Um, I love that, though. And, well, you, you, you're, you're, you're a finish with a banging piano kind of yeah. guy? Yeah, I, I mean, Sonic Well, that's the kind Sonic of piano that I know how to my, play. Like, I don't know bands, any so. notes, but I'll smash a fucking child's piano for you anytime you want. Yeah, I would record it. <laughs> so. Set up. Of, like, the two parts of that song, like, part A being where like Lou Reed and Sterling Morrison are both saying they're like adverse and reverse and, and like they're talking like those poems over each other. Then part B with like uh, Mo Tucker and Doug Yule singing their more melodic part and there's more space to it. And they're both singing melodies and they overlap a little bit, but they don't overlap entirely. I actually really like that part B part. I think it's pretty. And I don't mind the part A part. After a while, I, I get kind of like, okay, I get it. You're both talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it! Oh. But then, I just was missing that. But then when it breaks into that other part and the, and the song opens up a little bit, it's melodic. I, I do really like those parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of takes you there. Yeah. I appreciated the palate cleansing uh, end song. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, it is interesting to have the two minute, you know, after a nine minute, uh, art, more art art, you know, more out there sort of song. I thought uh, the one week song on here, I thought it was the, that's the story of my life. I just, it just, it, it's cute. It was just kind of like a poppy. It's a ditty. Yeah, it's a ditty. And I feel like that probably translated better with, uh, within a live context. Cause it probably, he probably expanded on, on different things. Um, yeah. I thought this was a great album though. Yeah. I was wondering too, uh, re-listening to it. Do you think anybody has ever gotten the wrong impression from things like, uh, like Pale Blue, Blue Eyes is so uh, somber, and then you get Jesus, and then <laughs> beginning to see the light. Do you think anybody thought this was like a religious oh. actually conversion? Wrote, I wrote an essay about the sequencing of this album when I was in college. <laughs> Let's hear it. I say us up, baby. Come on. I, it was decades ago. But, uh, what was the, what was like the thesis though? Uh, was that whether intentionally or unintentionally, the sequencing of this album could be interpreted as one life story. Uh, and there's even track eight, the story of my life. <laughs> you know? 
right before like the, the the chaotic ending and then the kind of epilogue of After Hours. But yeah, it's got the whole like the from like Candy says to some kind of love to to pale blue eyes. There, it's almost like the character is like conflicted, living in sin, doing these things, and then yeah, there's like the the middle like uh, like triplet. Of yeah, uh, Jesus, I'm beginning to see the light, and I'm set free, which is almost like a resolution of the first part of the album, and then like the epilogue of story of my life, uh, murder mystery, and after hours. Yeah, was my paper. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Um, I had also written down too um, a song like Pale Blue Eyes. I think shows will will then be reinterpreted by people doing a very lo-fi. Uh, type of sound more in the what like late 80s 90s like a band like low that sees how minimal you can possibly be because it's all it's just a tambourine a bass and very just like single strumming yeah. uh, a guitar and it's like very very quiet so i've i'm very impressed by sort of their evolution of doing these different things of you know with john cage and being like, let's see how crazy and loud we can be with white light, white heat, and then this album, the revert, like almost the reverse of of that idea. I think "Pale Blue Eyes" is such a pretty, haunting yeah. song about unrequited love, mm-hmm. <laughs> or I guess requited, <laughs> but yeah, it, it you know the other person's in a relationship, so like you, like you you know what's wrong. It, it's a it's a pretty song and it's a haunting song and it's a sad song. And it, it, the mood that, that they were trying to convey with the song, it, it, it works. Like the song makes you feel like that. Linger really said before this is <coughs> this is just a really really good Lou Reed record and <laughs> no I mean c- compared to what the other two records sound like sure th- yeah. this is absolutely like what Lou yeah. Reed did solo and no, I it, know. It, I'm not arguing with you and no I, I think it's I think it's great how about Doug Yule going on to be the the only member of the Velvet Underground in a few years that's weird there there are <laughs> albums there's at least one album that's been released that on the front of the album it says The Velvet Underground. I was wondering about that because I looked at the chart on Wikipedia where it mm-hmm. shows it and there was just like off in space and I was like, what does that mean? That can't be real. And he wasn't even like, I, I love, I really like Doug Yule's contribution to this record. I think he was a good addition to the band. 
but he shouldn't be the only member of the. It's not the Velvet Underground without, well, a without Lou Reed, but even like like Sterling Morrison and Mo Tucker. You know, yeah, yeah, it just doesn't feel right. Well, doesn't Leonard Skinner not have any original members of Leonard Skinner in it at this point? Yeah, but they died. <laughs> in some ways, <laughs> you know. I do remember they they were doing a re- reunion and they were going to play. I'm beginning to see the light, and it was John Cale, and uh, someone told Lou Reed they were like, uh, uh, "It was for for Rock Hall, I think." Yeah, yeah, Rock yeah. Hall, yeah. And uh, they were like, "Hey, Lou, uh, he wasn't in the band when you when you wrote that." And he's like, "All right, screw it, we're doing heroin instead." <laughs> <laughs> Checkmate. <laughs> uh, all right, let's let's go around the room. How's everybody feel? I'll go first. Uh, total positive. I mean, Velvet Underground is such a good band, and this just provides another vision of what the Velvet Underground could be. And you're right. It is very much a Lou Reed-centric album, and I'm okay with that. Lou Reed is a great songwriter, and uh, everybody else is following right along, I think. Yeah. I, I do appreciate Kale uh, just mm-hmm. for his having that weird more artist uh, maybe not more artistic but avant-garde well, avant-garde performance yeah, yeah. performance yeah. yeah but uh lou reed has such subtle lyrics sometimes and i'm, I'm a fan yeah yeah absolutely positive this album is it's super pretty and there's yeah there, there's there's no there's nothing that I can say that's going to convince someone that they should seriously listen to this record. But yeah, absolutely listen to the record. It's great. Yeah, full positive. It's a beautiful album. Um, you know, maybe for me it would take a couple of re-listens to, to get the murder mystery. But, you know, with or without that. It is that, a mystery. It's a mystery. And, uh, you know, they're building it. Style. So I guess I'll just have to figure it out. Um, and I think you should too. Uh, it's good. Yeah, A plus, all in. This is my favorite Velvet Underground record. That's awesome. Yeah. Non holiday. Not this is my favorite, <laughs> my favorite non holiday Velvet Underground record. Velvet Underground Christmas, <laughs> unstoppable. I would absolutely listen to a Velvet Underground Christmas album. They had Lou Reed has a Christmas song. I'm sure. I'm I'm sure he does. It's probably like late '80s, if I had to guess. I wonder what it is. We though. gotta find it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Next time we'll be talking about Quicksilver Messenger Service. Happy trails. All right. Thanks, y'all.